This is a podcast from the Ministries of Manitou Presbyterian Church, a sermon preached on March 27, 2022 by Scott Starbuck. The scriptures for this fourth Sunday of Lent. Joshua 5, 9-12, and Luke 15, 1 through 3, and then 11b through 32. The Luke passage is commonly referred to as the story or the parable of the prodigal son. But in this sermon, it is suggested that Jesus told this parable to draw attention to the resentful older brother. And that resentment is actually the spiritual danger that leads to so many different human problems and the suggestion of how we can move away. We hope that you will find blessing in this podcast from Manitou Presbyterian Church. Gracious God, we have come to be with you. So we pray that you would do your miracle, that you would take my words, all of the thoughts of our minds and hearts, and even the reading of your holy scriptures, and transform these. Transform these things into your living, incarnate, spiritual word, so that you would be our teacher, and that each one of us would hear individually, as well as collectively, exactly what you have for us this day. We pray this upon the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were encamped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened caked and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. From the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, 11b through 32. And yes, indeed, there is a Bible story about this, the well-known and challenging story, the parable, that we know as the prodigal son. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, he told them this parable. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So, 
he the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in a dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, Oh, many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And... They began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. His reply, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he had got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May God bless this reading of his holy word. So as I was uh, thinking on these scriptures this week, I almost, I almost fell prey to um, reading my own life in light of the Joshua passage. I am excited. Tomorrow morning, for the first time in two years, I will be able to teach for four hours straight at Gonzaga without a mask. It feels as if the manna has ceased. 
and I can eat off of the fat of the land. And yet, if you go on in the book of Joshua, life gets pretty complicated after that passage. And our lives are complicated, and we are in the midst of Lent, and this very familiar parable of Jesus seems to fall on us at a critical time. I have been so encouraged by the outpouring of energy around the refugee crisis in Ukraine. Because you know, for some time, our congregation has really dedicated ourselves to responding to refugee resettlement in Spokane. And there have been times when the crisis has been just excruciatingly um, intense. Like, for example, the problem of Syrian refugees and the inability to offer welcome to Syrian refugees in our country or in our town. Uh, but things seem to be different. Things seem to be different right now. There is an article in this morning's paper, perhaps you've already read it, Spokane Providence Holy Family Dr. Kyle Varner, one of our own Spokanites, is over in Poland working with refugees who have come across the border. He says, when you think of a refugee crisis, you think about people locked away in a camp who are shut out of society and who just have a ton of needs. Ukrainians and Polish people are basically, ethnically, well, pretty darn identical. And it's a quirk of human nature that we respond better to people who look like us. Eugene Robinson, an uh, opinion writer for the uh, Washington Post, a, a black opinion writer, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer, wrote this. The vast majority of the victims in Ukraine are European, white, and Christian. Quite a few speak at least a little English. With their puffer coats and their rolling suitcases, they look familiar as they climb onto trains and that speed them into exile. Their children play with Muppets and Legos. Whether intentionally or subconsciously, news organizations make this war more vivid and more tragic by focusing so tightly on victims and refugees. We've had a lot of coverage of Ukraine, haven't we? Compare that in your mind to, for example, the Syrian refugee crisis. We've learned about individual people who are escaping. We have learned the names of their children. Did that happen with the Syrian refugee crisis? We get to see them as individuals, he wrote, not as undifferentiated masses. Viewers and readers are invited, if not forced, to imagine ourselves in similar circumstances. 
It's no wonder that so many members of Congress reflecting the views of their constituents are pressing the Biden administration to intervene more robustly, despite the obvious risks of entering into an armed conflict with Russia. Now, don't get me wrong. I am thrilled with the response that I see. But in Lent, it makes me at least raise the question, why is it easier for us with Ukrainians than it was with Syrians? The situation's very, very similar. In fact, the same bad actor, Putin, was involved in both situations. And I think Jesus cares about that. And it gets us into this story, this parable that Jesus teaches, exposes us to, that deals with empathy and resentment. Empathy and resentment. I think that's a good place for us to start to figure out where are we today in Lent. You know, in one study, the average American college student in 2009, so that's some time ago, scored 75% less empathetic than students did in 1979. Just think about that for a moment. Now, we can explain that neurologically. Because empathy isn't simply a disposition. There are neurological linkages. We know where empathy lights up in the brain. And so if those college students are reflective of our general population, then we have a huge empathy problem, especially from the Christian standpoint. Because it seems that Jesus believes that empathy is very important. What we have replaced our empathy ability with is resentment. We have chosen resentment over empathy. In short, behind the bluster and rhetoric of just about every type of popular discourse, left and right, there lies a deeper emotion of resentment. Resentment itself is difficult to measure because it always expresses itself indirectly. Resentment is a conflict in search of a cause. That's why it can reside within a person or communities and seem to go with the cause of the day so easily. It is an inner disposition and it is antithetical to empathy. Now, it's probably good for us to remember that no less than Hitler wrapped his appeal to the German people in religious language and pseudo-religious rituals disguised as rallies, where he nurtured anger and resentment. That's how he succeeded. He 
objectified people, calling them devils and demons. So he decreased empathy and increased resentment. And because he did this at a time when the German church, Protestant and Catholic, had sort of bought into resentment, there was just a very thin sliver of people who saw what was going on and stood up to it. In our book of confessions, we have the Barman Declaration of a group of people that stood up and tried to point out what the true church should be about. But we should remind ourselves that the vast majority of people in Germany gave in to resentment. And they gave in to resentment because they lost their ability to empathize. One writer says this, he, Hitler, appealed to that resentment on a platform of lies which were repeated time and again through the media, which became a propaganda machine headed by Joseph Goebbels. In fact, Hitler said there would be no Third Reich without the media. He had also learned that if you repeat a lie long enough and often enough, people will begin to believe it. Does any of that sound familiar? Thank God Hitler didn't have Facebook. We're part of that same human condition. If the connection with Hitler is too extreme, um, let me tell you how I've seen this work itself out in the church. The way I've seen this work out in the church over the last 25 years is this. A group of people and their leaders feel victimized by change. In their victim position, they fully embrace the dysfunctional triangle. And by fully embracing the dysfunctional triangle, they begin to lean towards what will rescue them, and they identify very clearly who the perpetrators are. Then, not wanting to be victims, and certainly not wanting to be perpetrators, they become rescuers, and they save the faithful from the people destroying the church. And so you know what they do? They take the church property and the church, and they start their own group. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you're going to analyze this, we could do worse than looking at this as an exchange of empathy for resentment. There's something absolutely spiritually wrong about allowing resentment to fester and to lose our ability to empathize.
There's absolutely no way that we can welcome those who are unexpected. And by definition, those who are unexpected are going to disrupt our lives because they're unexpected. We didn't see them coming. They just showed up. There's no way we can possibly do that if we are prone to the sweet spot of resentment where we're annoyed at people who interrupt our lives, who ask us for demands that we didn't plan for or anticipate. If we are going to nurture resentment in us, we will too often find ourselves in comfort groups. Uh, Now the new name is silos. Status groups with friends who don't really interrupt us, respect our space. And like the horses that wear blinders, we will increasingly narrow our lives. And then we wonder why we have trouble seeing the kingdom of God unfolding. Resentment will do that. In many ways, I think we've read the Adam and Eve story wrong. There's a tendency to read the sin of Adam and Eve as the sin of pride. It's the sin of resentment. That's how the snake gets to them. The snake gets to them by placing as a possibility that God somehow is withholding something good from them that they deserve. Boom. Resentment. And this is a big thing for Jesus. And so as all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, this fostered resentment from the Pharisees and the scribes. And they grumbled, and they complained, and they said, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Resentment. And Luke says, so Jesus told this parable. Now notice how the parable ends, because that's probably what Jesus wants us to pay attention to the most. I know all of us tend to see ourselves as the younger brother, right? Because we love receiving God's grace, and who among us doesn't need God's grace? We all need God's grace. We've all messed up. But that's not why Jesus told this parable. Listen to how he tells or ends this parable. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. His father goes out to him and begins to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen! For all these years, I've been working as a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never even given me so much as a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Hear any resentment there? But when this son of yours comes back, notice, not my brother, who has devoured your property, which I stand to inherit, 
with prostitutes. Where did that come from? You killed the fatted calf. This parable is about resentment. That's what this parable is about. This parable Jesus tells not to show us the love of God because the Father isn't necessarily God in the parable. The parable is told to expose among the people of God the danger of resentment. How dangerous is resentment? Look what happened in Germany among the church when they gave in to resentment. Commenting on this passage, Rodney Clapp says, we can relate to the elder brother. He has been responsible. He has behaved well. He has prudently kept his inheritance secure. Little brother, meanwhile, has sinned in crazy ways and enjoyed it. And for his punishment, he is getting the party of the year. Doesn't Big Brother have a little bit of a right to feel resentment? But when Jesus tells this story, the answer is, eh, no. In the world of Jesus, Big Brother has the right to feel empathy. Big Brother who feels resentment has gone over to the dark side. How do we know that? Look what the Father says. Son, you are always with me. That's what it's been about from the very beginning. It's not about inheritance. It's about being with one another. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate, because this brother of yours who was dead has come to life. The brother of yours who was not with us is now with us. He was lost, and now he's found. This would have been hard for people to hear at the time of Jesus. Leslie Hopp says the father and younger son were reconciled, as were the neighbors at the party and the younger son the only person who stood outside the circle of reconciliation was the older son. Now, as I read the rest of what he has to say, I want you to think about how well this would play on cable news, okay? So just imagine, just imagine cable news covering this feast, identifying, of course, what the younger son had done. The elder son's behavior was another humiliation for the father from the standpoint of the older brother. Sons owed their father's loyalty and obedience. The father chose to absorb the shame heaped on him by the elder brother, just as he did for the younger brother. He willingly adopted the stance of pleading towards his elder son. A major humiliation 
for a father from the patriarchal culture of early Judaism. So how would cable news tend to play this? The father is what? Weak. Embarrassing. Pariah. But cable news knows very little about the logic of grace and compassion. Cable news knows everything about the issue of status for its particular audience. Strength. And the self-righteous position of deservedness. You deserve what you have. You deserve to have the feelings of resentment that you have. And you deserve the outrage that you feel that you have other people questioning your deservedness. That sells. It's selling. But even more than selling, it can slowly work into us, can't it? Resentment is tied to that part of our brain, that monkey part, that animalistic fight or flight, that defensive part. That part of us that can so easily become overwhelmed when we feel out of control. It is not a spiritual part of us. It is the monkey brain. The spiritual part of us is where we find compassion, which is rooted neurologically deeper. And the thing is, where resentment can be fueled almost like diabetes by eating donuts. Compassion is harder. Compassion takes what people call mindfulness today. It's what Christians a long time ago called things like repentance, spiritual direction, and prayer. It takes a willingness for us intellectually to enter into the world of Jesus and to try, even though our default position tends towards resentment, to find the way to compassion. Even though the crowd that we swim in tends towards resentment, to find in Christ compassion. And the secret here is if we're able to orient ourselves towards compassion, and as a Presbyterian, I actually think that God is able to do this in us. I'm not that confident, at least in me, Right? When the Apostle Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is operative in us with sighs too deep for words, I think that's towards compassion. But if that begins to happen, then our whole minds begin to change. Brain scans show that our whole minds begin to change. And the shortest way to say it, we become less monkey-like. Maybe we become more Christ-like. 
The key here is to understand that we can select on purpose one of our basic motivational systems for caring, and we can cultivate it, help it grow and mature through practice, through engagement, through doing this daily. That sounds like repentance to me. I don't know about you. It sounds like that type of turning we've talked about in Lent, turning towards Christ, turning away from resentment. Is God doing something now in this horrifically complex, dangerous, and overwhelming time? Well, the right theological answer is God is always doing something. Maybe for some reason right now, we are paying better attention. Maybe for some reason right now, we're more easily able to get to that point of compassion instead of resentment. Awesome. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. Because that change might be a harbinger for what it looks like to have this new life in Jesus Christ. To move away from the monkey, who, by the way, they throw poop at each other at the zoo. Did you know that? But that's sort of cable news, too. And to move into the new life of freedom and love in Jesus Christ. Let's go for it. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ministry of Manitou Presbyterian Church in Spokane, Washington. Additional podcasts, worship videos, and other content can be easily found at manitou.org. That is M-A-N-I-T-O dot O-R-G. May God bless you in your authenticity and yearning today.